This is the Lake Ridge Faith and Culture Podcast with our series, God Rules. Women want more rights, more access to abortion, more freedom, not less. Hell is knowing your truth and lacking the courage to live it. I don't care. I have lots of things I disagree with about the Bible. Why are we doing even a series on the Ten Commandments? The law was always meant to communicate God's character and God's truth and the reality of how God made the world. An articulation of our purpose, what it means to be human according to God's intent. Here's what happens when you balk at structure, balk at God's guidelines and boundaries that he's posted. It's not good what takes its place. So when God gives us these instructions, basically it, it, it implies you're a bunch of lying, fornicating, self-worshiping yeah. louts, you know. We shouldn't think about them as arbitrary rules, but we should think about them as God showing us the way to live fulfilling, long-lasting life in the world. We believe the enemy is after your mind and heart, and as shepherds, we're jumping into the fray. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the conversation. All right, welcome back to another podcast episode of Faith and Culture. We're excited that you're listening, and um, we're, we're going to continue our series in God Rules. This is kind of a look at not only the fact that God actually rules, but the fact that He gives us rules to live by in the Ten Commandments. And what, we, what we're trying to do is to look at how the Ten Commandments are... Um, constantly relevant. They're, they they never go sour, sort of. It's like every culture throughout all history, um, everywhere on the earth, needs the Ten Commandments. They're, they, they are the rules that God gives us that govern human life on the earth, and we're coming to an interesting one today. Uh, it's the Third Commandment, and it, uh, it says this. I'm going to read this from the ESV, but it says, "'You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain.'" For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And so um, we want to look at this from a number, I think, of vantage points here. But right off the bat, how do you guys think um, most people hear or interpret this command? What, what, what do most people think this command means? To not say GD. Right. I mean, that's, that's probably the first thing that comes to their mind. Yeah, it's going on plugged in and counting how many curse words are in, you know, the movie that they're about to watch. And if it's above a certain threshold, then, you know, right. you cut it out. Right. Yeah, so do, do, you, do you think that that's what it means? In part. Yeah, it's, not, it's not the whole of it. Yeah, that's like the very baseline. Like, that certainly can't be all that it means, but I yeah. think it, it has to at least mean that. Yeah. That we don't use the name of God as a curse word. Yeah, I, I think that there there may be um, something deeper than that as well. You know, we've we've talked about this, and we're going to look at this a whole lot more as we move through this second chunk of, you know, we, we talk about the law that coming in two tables, um, commands one through four sort of revolving primarily around the Lord God himself and how we relate to him, and then the second set of uh, commands r- really sort of revolving around our own relationships with one another, um, and, and 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 so I think that we'll we'll definitely pick this thread up as we move through the second half. But 
there's both a negative and a positive side of every command. And so when God says, for instance, you shall not murder, right? We're going to get to this later in another episode. The positive side of that for us as Christians is obviously we value life. And we, we, we've got to value life. And so I think, um, and Calvin makes a similar point in his treatise on the Ten Commandments um, that I've been reading as kind of a um, uh, handmaiden to, 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 to our discussions. But um, Calvin makes the point that it's not just not taking the Lord God's name that's um, in view here. It's also the fact that we ought to uh, consider that the name of our Lord is sacred and holy um, and I don't think that that a lot. I, I don't think most Christians are running around taking God's name in vain and like profaning His name. I don't think that that's really a problem. Although I think for some Christians it certainly is. But I, I do wonder. I'd like to start here in the conversation anyway. I do wonder if maybe Christians today um, approach the Lord's name with a level of familiarity and relaxation that isn't reflective of the holiness and the sacredness that is the name of our Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, think it, I, I think it may have something to do with an entertainment culture that's sort of uh, taken over the church in and of itself. We're less comfortable with a God who's transcendent and awful, you know, like awful tends to mean bad to us, but rather than full of awe, right, when we approach him. So and, and does that make sense to you guys? You, you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, so there's this. there was this trend. I, I don't hear it as much anymore, but like in the early 2000s at like camps and conferences I was at, I kept running this phenomenon where I would be, I'd be in some big worship meeting and, you know, someone would have just sang some song like How Great Thou Art and we're all just sort of glorying in the epicness of God. And then someone would get up to pray and the first words out of their mouths were the words, Daddy God. And and now listen, I know where they're getting that from. I know that they've got a proof text in their minds from Romans 8 about this idea of Abba Father. Like, I know where they're getting it from. But the feeling of how inappropriate that felt to me, the way that it seemed to display in my mind, you know, and I'm willing to be rebuked by the circle if that's where we go with this. (laughs) (laughs) But the the feeling in my mind that there was such a lack of, to your point, reverence at Mm -hmm. that moment. Um. I think specifically just that an adult would say daddy to any being maybe um, just sort of made me feel like we weren't we weren't showing the same respect to God in the way we prayed that we just tried to express in the way we sang. Yeah, right. I, the, 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 similar to that, Kyle, I remember being at youth camps, both growing up and even taking students during my years in youth ministry, and someone would get up and... And, and, and they would try to pray in a really relevant way, you know, it's like, or, or authentic, I think was the, the objective perhaps. And they would say something like, you know, big G, uh, big G, you know, <laughs> we're, 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 we're praying to you, big G, you know, like big God, like it's, you're just kind of going, what are we doing right now? Yeah. He's yeah. revealed a name to us and, and, and we can, we can call him by his name. And I don't think Christians should be afraid of that, but but there seems to be a relaxation and a familiarity that seems inappropriate. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. w- when it comes to how we approach a holy God. And I think, Kyle, I love your term reverence. I think maybe we've lost a bit of that reverence in in you know 21st century evangelical culture today. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe maybe we ought to try to regain mm-hmm. some of that. Yeah, and I'm not rebuking anything you said, Kyle. I, think, I, th- I, I do think there may be somebody with has true, genuine intentions, and their yeah. daddy, father. I mean, however they're, they're they're approaching it. I mean, that's that's only the Lord knows the heart. But um, you see this in country music, the man upstairs. You know, yeah. just one. Um, that's how you know a lot of the, those artists will refer to God. Mm-hmm. Um, or, I mean, not just in country music. I just want to thank the man upstairs for giving me all I've got. Kind of language. Um, I think, and it's not just the, the the title God. I mean, we use uh, to your point, Ben. I think you know maybe within Christian circles, um, somebody's surprised by something, they're, or they're just amazed. They're like Jesus Christ. I mean, they they use his name as though it's uh, that's how you express amazement, or you're stunned by something. Exclamation! Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, or just. Jesus, you know, you hear that a lot, mm-hmm. and they don't think think anything of it. Um, you know, yeah. that's when you know we, we've laughed about Bill Britt. You know, hearing people say that before, he goes, uh, you know, he'll stop him right there and and start a conversation about the gospel. You know, you called his name; he, he's listening. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh-huh. sort uh, of that you rang. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For anyone listening, Bill Britt is a tra- a world traveling evangelist missionary guy and he's just he's always ready to share the gospel with somebody he's he's the best well and to your point ben i think the reason we don't get uncomfortable with that and i'll be willing to say that a lot of times when i hear certain language or certain ways people talk about god you know you even have the jesus is my homeboy crowd you know for if we're hitting all the all the different ways this is expressed i think part of it comes down to i don't think we have a very high view of honor in general in our yeah, culture like fair. we don't we don't have a perspective on certain things should just be honored and they shouldn't be brought low cuz i think we have a very casual culture we would like everything to be accessible um maybe to the detriment of things being lifted up or yeah. being revered yeah and so i think this is one of those commands that's hard for us to express in our culture because it calls upon a category we may not have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not a lot in our culture, I would say, we do hold sacred anymore. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons, Kyle, that we're, you know, as you're saying, uh, we find it difficult to to elevate to that level um, even our worship or or our thoughts about God. I think the historical record, if you look at people who really had a sort of a face-to-face encounter with God, is some, it exists on some continuum between uh, terror and unconsciousness. I mean, and on the one hand, even if it's just God's representatives, when the angels showed up, the first thing out of their mouth typically was, be not afraid, because the reaction of human beings encountering anyone from the spiritual realm is fear. And you have people like Daniel who just face planted on the, by the river when, you know, the angel showed up to deliver an answer to his prayer. So I think that the historical record is unusual in this regard because it's not a happy dance that people tend to do. And I think it gets back to this 
whole question about about how seriously we perceive uh, spiritual things and the mm-hmm. sacred. I, I I do think that the commandment. It, I think it's not less than what we've been talking about, but there's an element of it. If you talk, I've heard Doctor Bob say this. Uh, Bob Chisholm uh, say this before that it's talking about sort of making a commitment in his name that you don't keep. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's it's not following through when you have sort of uttered, I have this commitment to God, or I'm you know, promising in the name of God that I will do this thing, mm-hmm. and then you don't do this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that comes to mind to me in sort of my own experience, I guess, is... Um, you often see these businesses who put a fish or a cross on their on their advertisement on their on their workplace sign or whatever and they 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 you know they sort of build a business on the basis of their christian commitment and christian ethic i think for businesses who do that and then do not behave in an honest and ethical way that's an example of taking the Lord's name in vain, according to this, because they are sort of capitalizing on God's credibility to advance themselves and then not Come adhering through. to that sort of commitment, that, that elevated requirement uh, for doing that. I also, I'm, I think there is this pervasive assumption in this commandment that um, there are sacred things in life that are um, not to be treated lightly, right? I think, I think a great example of that idea, Keith, is the story of Uzzah and the Ark. So it's one of my favorite Old Testament stories because it just baffles everybody that I talk to about it. So whenever David is transporting the Ark for the first time into Jerusalem, the Ark is God's presence and sort of the place where he dwells with his people Israel this time in the biblical story. And they're told, you cannot touch the ark. Don't touch it. It is sacred. If you're going to carry it, it's got to be on poles or it's got to be on a cart, you know, but you don't touch the ark. Well, as the ark is going to Jerusalem, it hits a pothole or something, and the cart begins to turn, and the ark looks like it's about to fall out. And so this man named Uzzah reaches out and puts his hand on the ark to stop it from falling, which, man, if, if, if I were doing a Bible study about this, I, my application would have been, look at how much Uzzah respects God, that he doesn't want the ark to fall. But God strikes that boy dead right there. And the implication being, I told you not to touch it. And apparently to God, it was more important that you obey what he said, that I am so holy I don't need your help. Don't touch it, right? right? Even even if you have some good intention way to try and maybe do something else to sh- sort of show your connection to God. Right. It was kind of like the tree all over again in the Garden of Eden. You mm. know? Yeah. It was clear instruction. But to Keith's point, I, yeah, I agree. I think it's... Um, you know, Scripture says, "Let your yes be yes and your no be no." Don't use, don't, don't back up your pledge with God's name when you have no intention of carrying it out, or if there's potential that you're going to fail in carrying that out. Because any of us that bear the name of Christ and it's made known, which it should be, and we we fail in the way we conduct ourselves with other people, mm-hmm. I, I think that also applies to this commandment. It's, mm-hmm. um, you know, today's vernacular. You know, I swear to God. 
trust me on this, right? That's what people will say to get you to buy in to, to how serious they are about what mm-hmm. they're telling you. You know, don't, I think don't, don't talk like that. Yeah. There's, yeah. you know, I mean, I think, I think there's cultural idioms and we've referenced some of them, like I swear to God or whatever, that point back to an actual practice that was, mm. it was a conscious mm. practice of, of our culture long before. Um, and, and that practice was calling upon God as a witness to your own innocence or to your own sincerity or whatever the case may be. And so there's a reason, I think, that when God said, this is, so all of the Ten Commandments are about God trying to establish a just society for the for his people, for his chosen nation. The, the, the nation of Israel was going to be a just society, and these were the ten laws that were going to govern this just society. This rule, I think, is connected to another rule, which comes later, which is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. To bear false witness within a court of law would be to um, perjure yourself, lie, basically, to get the better of uh, someone around you. Like, so, like, Kyle may have a beef with me, and, you know, so he's— Which I do from time w- to time. Which, which he does. <laughs> and in a court of law, Kyle might bear false witness against me just to deal with mm-hmm. me in a way that he wants to. Mm-hmm. In the same way, if I'm, in, if I'm under oath and I, I swear— I take God's name and I swear to God that my testimony is true or that I'm innocent of something. There's a reason the verse says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You can swear to God if you want to, but God's not going to hold you guiltless if you're guilty, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. don't take the Lord God's name and 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 think that you could sort of uh, escalate <laughs> your witness to that level, and God's just going to sort of take your side in the matter. Nope, He's not going to do that. So don't take the Lord's God's name in vain, because He's not going to hold you guiltless. But it goes back to this idea of, you know, the things in our society that are um, th- that ought to be sacred to us, and God's name being one of those. Um, how do you guys think, or why do you think our culture struggles? To view really anything through through a lens of uh, sacred reverence. What are some things in our society that we ought to view um, as sacred? In addition to the well, Lord God's name, <clears throat> Paul in Ephesians five talks about um, don't joke about sexual things in particular, but sin in general. Mm-hmm. He says. Um, He talks about walking in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And then he says in verse 3 of chapter 5 in Ephesians, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Mm-hmm. As is proper among saints, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking. So I think what he's saying is that there are things that are serious matters that aren't just sort of be dealt with uh you know, trivially, trivially, and trivialized and made light of, because they they matter a lot. I think this is a big gap, frankly, uh, between um, unbelievers and believers now on questions related to human sexuality and even abortion. And that is, um, and I don't think we do a good enough job of this. Most Christians, I think, we don't do a good enough job of this. Is explaining that we believe that sexuality is sacred and not just a form of entertainment. And so that is 
why we approach these things very differently than someone who is unbelieving and, and just a materialist, a thoroughgoing materialist who just believes that pleasure is um, untethered from anything meaningful. Um, as Christians, we believe these things are sacred. And um, um, I was reading, I was reading a, a, an essay uh, just over the weekend by Flannery O'Connor, who was a Catholic writer, um, mostly novels, but uh, a lot of short stories. Anyway, she had written this piece on what it meant to ride, and she talked, interestingly enough, in this piece about how Christians in, at her time, it was in the 50s and, you know, late 50s, uh, had had become much more focused on the abstract and the definitional, she called it. And by that she meant um, we're thinking about our faith and our theology in terms of what's abstract and not in terms of the sacredness of our lives. She said it's one thing to understand your faith based on its definition. It's another thing to shake alongside Abraham as he holds the knife over Isaac. And I, I thought that was a really insightful uh, point of view about just the extent to which our lives are this integrated whole and everything we're engaged in is sacred. And if we sit back mm-hmm. and we view it all through this, well, I've got all these definitions of what this, what my faith is, that's, I mean, that's a starting point, but if it ends there and it's not sort of infused and diffused throughout your life, then I think then you compartmentalize and you say, you lose sight of the fact that everything I'm engaged in as a, someone who's in God's image is sacred. Mm-hmm. I want to follow a couple of these threads. I think that's really, really insightful, Keith. I think to maybe continue answering that question, Ben, the reason our culture is such a hard time with sacred things is because to declare something sacred means to give it weight that I cannot contradict, to give it importance that does not come from me. And so, for instance, if we use the the topic of sex as you brought up, Keith, um, that means that I can't redefine it. I can't renegotiate my relationship to sex. Sex is something, and I have to, I'm now accountable to the importance that it brings. I think the same thing with God. I think the same thing with church. We've tried very hard in our culture to make church accessible, and for, for very good reasons and with some very um, maybe helpful side effects, but it has come with the effect that church does not have the weight or the importance in many people's minds that it once did. Because we want it to be malleable to us. Oh, and, I, and by the way, COVID had an impact on that and this emphasis on streaming. Because now you mm-hmm. don't even need an embodied presence. Yeah. Right? In that model yeah. for a lot of people. Well, and I think this idea you've brought up with O'Connor, the idea of naming something or giving it a definition and then pretending like that sort of eradicates its <sighs> specialness in some ways. Yeah. I talk about this sometimes when we talk about uh, uh the past and the way people would have things they didn't understand so they'd refer to it as a mystery so i use this example of like when you still get old maps there'd be these big like painted creatures on the corners and you say here be sea monsters right here here's where the sea monsters are and you know we sort of joke and say like haha they used to think there were sea monsters i'm like no 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 they knew there were sea monsters we've just pretended they don't exist now because we call them great white sharks See, we gave them a name. And giant we, squids. Right, giant squid. Right, so we named them. We pretended that definition removed its specialness somehow. It sort of made it less scary or less big. And I think we've done that with a lot of things. Yeah, when you can rename, you know, sea monster calamari, 
you know, it sort of <laughs> takes the sting out of it, you know. Um, yeah, I, I think you guys are right. Um, there's a there's this relationship between reverence and fear that that we should talk about a little bit, and and so if if we can bring everything low and make everything under our own control and everything something that we can define and determine its significance, then we really are, mm. you know, we've arrived here at the third commandment only after having broken the first two, right? <laughs> we have we have another God besides God, and it's us. And we worship something besides God, and it's our own image. And, and, and so um, now we can break the third commandment, which is to take the Lord God's name in vain, because mm. there is no other God but me. And, um, and so we bring everything low, and there's no transcendence. It's like, as Christians, we, we would rather um, sacrifice the transcendence of God for his eminence and, and not try to maintain the balance of those two things. I used to take, as and, and Kyle, I think you still do this as student pastor here at Lake Ridge, but um, when I was student pastor, I would take seniors on church trips just to try to tr- kind of try to help them uh, as they get ready to leave for college, think about the kinds of churches that they could visit and what they'd be getting into, and you know how do you find a good church? And so we would we would sort of try to to encounter a broad swath of of current church options in any given town. Yeah. So, for instance, we would take them out to like this, you know, one of the big mega churches in town, and that's like shooting fish in a barrel in Dallas. You can find a mega church. You trip over mega churches when you walk out the door in the morning. Yeah. Um, and then we would also take them to kind of a high church uh, Anglican environment and some others in between. But it was those extremes that often got the the greatest conversations out of the students. One of the things that I noticed attending uh, like the high church Anglican kind of environment was how how well they do God's transcendence, that that he is majestic and holy and sacred, and they have all of the accoutrements and the pomp and the pageantry that helps a human being to sort of realize, this is bigger than me, this is more important than me, and I jolly well ought to bow, right? Like that's, so 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 they, they do sacred very well. And then on the other end, you've got like the village church, which does eminence very well. You know, like God is... God is low. God is incarnate. God is brought near to us. He comes near to us. He meets with us in our suffering and our low point, you know. And and it's not that it's not that the Church of the Incarnation, the Anglican Church, and the Village Church are worshiping two different gods. It's just that they've emphasized two different truths. I wouldn't say different truths, simultaneous truths about God that I think we have a hard time holding in tension. Yeah. And so we sort of default to one view or the other. Um, but, but I think when you sacrifice all of God's transcendence and you don't make room for, for the sacred, then, um, then you do run the risk of, you know, Jesus couldn't, Jesus couldn't work in his hometown, right? Mm. Oh. Jesus, Jesus couldn't do miracles in his hometown because everyone was entirely too familiar with him. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't isn't this the guy we saw growing up? Like everyone knew who Jesus was. He's just he's just that guy. He's the man upstairs. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. 
one of the things that's fascinating is, yes, we still do those those church visits, and uh, I also try to, whenever we used to take mission trips to New York City, you know, you trip over cathedrals in New York City, because it's just such an old town, and one of the things that's cool there is we used to take tours inspired by you as well. We used to take tours of a bunch of the different cathedrals while we're there, and both when we visit an Anglican church cathedral or when we visited any of the cathedrals in, in New York, one instruction I never had to give was be quiet when you enter the church. Because every place I've ever been where there's a cathedral, everyone instinctively knows you whisper in a cathedral. It's this huge space. Well, and the acoustics just, of a cathedral are such that you can whisper and just that's all you need to do. That's all you need. <laughs> you can hear everyone. But it, yeah. but it inspires this moment of reflection on, oh, this place isn't about me. Mm-hmm. I am... I am at most a visitor in the home of someone else. And so when I'm in this space, I make myself small because this is showing me how big God is. Yeah. And and look, I think as pastors, just to be clear, we're, we, could, we could end up making the mistake of throwing stones in a glass house. Um, <laughs> you know, we're, we don't view ourselves as having nailed the tension between the sacred and the eminent, like the transcendent and the eminent. And... And so, well, here's an example. So I think, you know, growing up, my, um, and even before I was a child, what was the mode of dress that expressed reverence going to church? Mm. As a child, for me, it was, it was nice slacks, tucked Mm -hmm. in shirt, belt, Mm -hmm. don't even think about not wearing socks, wear your socks. And that's how you went to church. We've evolved now to where we preach in bedazzled jeans, pointy shoes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, stop yeah, talking about me, man. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I mean, but that was a way, at least from uh, the individual's perspective, that we communicated reverence, right? Mm-hmm. Now, how much weight that should hold? I mean, does that really, since we, I mean, we don't preach in bedazzled jeans here, but we do wear jeans and feel comfortable in it. Have we relaxed ourselves to the degree that we're too familiar with the Lord um, that we're not showing the the awe and reverence that we should. I, I'm not inclined to say that that's the attitude of our hearts. I don't believe that to be true about us. But just from outer appearance, that is one of the ways I think that reverence was communicated. Well, let's talk yeah. about that. I think you're absolutely right, and it's really wise to to highlight this because I do think that we have substituted reverence. You know, the old Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts had part of their whole ethic was um, to be clean, thrifty, reverent, and reverence was one of the virtues tagged on to the Boy Scout motto that they would try to become, that they that, that they upheld. And it's not something, I think today we've sort of replaced, Van, to your point, um, I think this is a great catch, we've replaced reverence with self-expression and authenticity. And so we view self-expression and the way that we um, dress, the way that we present ourselves as a virtue on par with reverence. Hmm. Um, Not on par, but instead of. And so like, we want to be genuine and authentic. Those are the words I hear. Genuine, authentic, you know. And so so it's not uncommon for me to see worship leaders. um, I've known worship leaders in the past. It's not uncommon for me to see worship leaders who have torn jeans all the way up to their thigh, like like the upper thigh, 
And you're just kind of going, I don't need to see the worship pastor's upper thigh in order for me to worship the Lord. In fact, <laughs> I might even say it's a distraction, right? Like upper thighs generally, I, I would still say that, that they, don't, they don't need to be on parade d- during the Lord's worship, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, and I think this is the reason why for most people we don't speak in terms of the fear of the Lord, yeah, because we we would like to lean towards the reverence idea, and I think reverence is the correct word. But the word that we see throughout the scriptures is this idea of fear, mm-hmm. and I think we 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 try to apologize for that term because fear trespasses on that uh, view of self that we've talked about several times on this podcast. The idea that my psychological view of myself should never be um, harmed. And and fear sort of has that natural bend towards making you feel a little bit less good about yourself. You know, it makes you feel a little bit smaller uh, because it's highlighting how exceptionally big or, you know, to use a word that maybe some people are uncomfortable with using about God, how dangerous God is. And for us to trespass on his name may lead us to harm which yeah. is why he says, don't do that. It's a, one of my favorite stories in Scripture comes at Revelation, the beginning of Revelation, when um, John encounters the risen, glorified, triumphant King Jesus in the very beginning. And this is so like just this is the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? This is the one who reclined at Jesus' breast at dinner and asked questions and was was close to Jesus and brought in and who Jesus basically gave his mom to when he died. You know, John, behold your mother, um, he says. And yet in this moment, John sees Jesus, whom he knew and loved and became close friends with, and falls down like a dead man before him. Fear is appropriate. But Jesus then condescends to John and places his hand on his shoulder and says, do not fear. Hmm. And so there's this, there is this tension between fear is the only proper response, but Jesus invites us to come closer at the same time. Hmm. Um, And so I I, I think that's all bound up with um, how we approach the Lord's name as those who bear his name. Hmm. Uh, You know, we are Christians. So... There's a really cool little passage in Ecclesiastes. If you want the wild and woolly passages of of the Bible, just go to Ecclesiastes. And in chapter 5, there's this interesting moment where the author is trying to impress upon the reader the importance of two seemingly tense truths, like you were pointing out, Ben. He says, when you go to the house of the Lord, so be in the house of the Lord. You should be there. You should draw close to God. He says, don't utter rash words. Don't heap up phrases. He says, let your words be few. Come near to listen instead of to speak. Mm-hmm. And I think it highlights kind of this, this tension. God invites us close. He says, I want to be near you. I want you to be my people. I want to be your God. But when you're near me, understand that uh, I am great and I am powerful and I am the before you one, right? That all of reality uh, centers on me, not on you. And so when you're near me, maybe the best posture is the posture of a listener rather than the posture of someone who comes to tell God something um, or give something to him he doesn't need. 
Yeah, it's like that. It's like that uh, moment in the Chronicles of Narnia where someone asks one of the one of the little kids, "Is it Lucy?" asks um, about Aslan, this lion. She says, "Is he safe?" And the answer is, "Safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good." Hmm. And I and I think that, um, I think maybe our our perspective or our vision of grace has corrupted the idea of God's goodness and turned it into safety. Um, God is God God is gracious and he is good, but but don't make the mistake of assuming that he's safe to play around with. Hmm. You, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So if we take in the name of Christian and we don't live as if we're Christians, is that an example of taking the Lord's name in vain? Mm-hmm. If we identify as Christians, but then we don't. Mm-hmm live like it yeah yeah i mean well it would certainly be to make a promise to god that you're not keeping um yeah you know it's sort of like we've talked about this idea of faith and what does it mean to have faith in god and you know faith without works being dead and i think to your point if we take on the name of christian we're making a promise both to god and other people that we that we are a little jesus right that we are ones who follow him and so if we don't do that yeah, I don't know. That might. Yeah. I think that's why you see the warnings in Scripture not to cause little ones to stumble. Paul's instruction in Romans about the weaker brother, you know, be careful. It should matter to you about defiling the conscience or causing a struggle within somebody else's heart and mind over something you may have liberty to do. Maybe it's not even sinful, but if you act in a way that really causes them uh, to stumble in, in their walk with the Lord, uh, that's not... That's not owning up to the commitment we have as believers. Well, it's it's what Paul says in Colossians as well, chapter one, when he when he says his constant prayer for the Colossian church is that they will know what is the will of God and have all spiritual wisdom so that they can walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Um, yeah. So this is a question then that I have. If it seems to be the the consensus at least that we do believe that there, God's name is worthy of a certain level of honor and fear and respect and reverence, that the Christian ought to orient his life around, that we do not trespass unnecessarily on the character, because, you know, his name being a representation of his character, of who God is. Um, do we then police that, either amongst ourselves as Christians or amongst even the, the culture broadly? I think there was a time when a Christian felt a little more comfortable to rebuke someone in public for the way they spoke about God. So Kyle, I had a boss when I was a senior in high school. I decided I wanted to become a lifeguard. I thought lifeguards, that would be really cool to be a lifeguard. It was sort of like, it was like the the earliest you could get involved in something that seemed relatively paramilitary, right? Like, it, so, so I was like, let's be a lifeguard, you know, and then maybe after that, a fireman or although it's you know, kind whatever. of a scanty uniform, but <laughs> yeah, ahead. yeah. So I thought, okay, lifeguard, this would be great. Thing and so we were I thought about. this will be great. I'm not only going to be a lifeguard, but I'm going to get a job at the YWCA, the Young Women's Christian Association. And I thought this is going to be great. I'm going to be a male lifeguard at a pool full of all the girls, right? Well, it turned out that it turned out that none it was a total misnomer. There's there is no young women at the Young Women's Christian Association. <laughs> all the girls were over 70. Yeah, right. they're all over 70. Um and uh, anyway, so I, I sat on, it was an indoor pool, and I sat on this thing. It was a long summer, I'll just say that. Um, but, but my boss 
was a kind of a younger guy, and he um he would constantly his favorite expression his his number one favorite expression to repeat was Jesus bleeping Christ. Yikes! And he would he said it all the time, and I finally this is my boss right. And so I've got something to lose if I rebuke to do the sort of the policing thing, yeah. you know. And so I finally, he and I were in conversation. I don't think we were uh, concerned at the moment that any of these elderly women were going to drown. And so he was talking to me while I was on the stand, and he said, and he was saying this. He, he he repeated it multiple times in this conversation. I finally just said, "Hey," I said, "Listen, that name that you're saying." I said, "I love him." He's my Lord and my Savior. If if we could find any other way to swear, <laughs> that that would be, be good. That would be great for me. Um, and yeah. his response was, "Yeah, man, I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know." So so he he trotted out a new variety of of, <laughs> of swear word. Um, he reached into the bag of swears right, and pulled right, out a couple but, extra. You know, progress, baby steps. You know. Yeah. Um, so let me piggyback that. Uh, when I lived overseas, I already started going to boarding school. And so the only time I came back home was summer and Christmas to see my family. And um, so before leaving to start my uh, senior year in boarding school, uh, there was another guy that lived in Saudi in the compound that we lived in. We got to be really good friends the year prior to that, uh, start of my senior year. And um, that's when the Lord was really starting to cultivate a lot of things in me. I, I didn't grow up with a, a, a profane mouth. I mean, I, I was always taught, you know, cuss words are bad, and I just it just wasn't part of my vernacular, you know. Um, but um, so my friend Jason, uh, I get back from that school year. I couldn't wait to see him. We were going to spend the whole summer together, hanging out, doing stuff. You know, had a lot of common interest. Comes over to my house and we're up in my room and I mean it's it's GD this GD that it was just the way Jason talked and I don't know if it ever struck me the way that it struck me on this particular occasion because um, like I said the Lord was really growing me and I had a heightened sensitivity to what's what was being said about the Lord and much like Ben's story I, with all the grace that I, I could. And, and tact that I could possibly use in the moment. I said, Jason, man, I said, do you mind just not saying God's name like that in vain? Unfortunately, it didn't, it didn't turn out like Ben's story. He <laughs> he, he uh, blew up and just felt like I was being super judgmental. I said, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm not trying to uh, cause any rift between us. I just don't want you to say that. Yeah. He stormed out of my house and that relationship was pretty much dead for uh, a year, and um, wow. thankfully there was a chance we got to come back together later and talk. Uh, so two things register to your, in my mind to your question. Should we be policing these kinds of things? I think anybody that professes the name of Jesus, and we hear that come out of their mouth, I think it's appropriate that you say something to them. Come let us reason together mentality, not to come down and, and just pound on you, but you need to be thinking seriously about what the Scripture says about this command and what it says about you when you're out there saying that. Yeah. On the other side of that, for a lost person to say it, they're just acting within their nature. I mean, it's mm. an opportunity to talk to them and say, listen, <laughs> that name that you're using, he loves you. You know, it's 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 a it's yeah. an open door to, to share the gospel, I think, uh, when it presents itself. So uh, it just depends on who we're talking about here and, and, and in response mm. to your question and how we approach that and, and 
I don't know if police is the best word to use. Maybe. I, I think there's another side of the question, and it's not it's not the policing side of the coin, it's the promoting side of the coin mm. that we should think about as Christians and as church leaders. How can churches promote the idea of reverence and sacredness when we when it comes to the Lord's name? How can we help to cultivate um, a a healthy respect and fear of the Lord, of his name, um, a reverence, so to speak, not just, and I mean, obviously, within our worship context is 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 one is one um, context or arena, but just even within the lives of believers as they go about their their daily business, how could we as a church help to promote and cultivate hmm. reverence? So here's maybe it's it's not a silly one, but it is just a kind of basic one I I took on, um, and it's I I intentionally try to develop a posture of prayer when I'm praying so that I demonstrate in the way that I shape my body that what I'm doing in this moment is a unique action, that I'm actually bringing another person into the conversation. You know, if we actually believe prayer is going up to the Lord, which he seems to indicate it does, then we're bringing a new person into that conversation. And so things like, you know, taking off my hat, you know, sometimes if I have sunglasses on my head, I'll be like, oh, you know, don't put anything there, you know, kind of a Corinthians 11 thing. Um whether that's bowing my head, closing my eyes, you know, some of the things that when we got older, we said, ah, maybe I don't need to do that anymore because, you know, I can actually focus for five minutes as opposed to a kid who needs their hands folded for that. But I think a good way to start with that for a lot of people is just posture. When you're speaking to God is the way you're shaping yourself, demonstrating this is a person worthy of my respect and my attention. Yeah, that's good. So um, I think we're going to, I think, you know, as time goes on um, and we are the memory of Christian influence within the culture continues to fade. Um, You know, someone said, um, I'm I'm not sure uh, we're influenced by Christ, but we're definitely haunted by Christ uh, in our culture. Um, And I think that as, as that continues to accelerate i think christians who are committed to the sacred are going to have more and more visible uh distinctives uh about the way they live their lives and the way they choose i I work among a bunch of unbelievers you know it's not unusual at all for people to use salty language let's just say and i don't police their salty language i mean if i know someone's a believer uh, i might say something just you know, at lunch or something. But normally I work around people that, you know, they just, that's just sort of the way they talk and live their life. And I don't do that. I don't engage in that. Uh, and what's happened over the years, it's interesting. <clears throat> people know, I, it, it has surprised me a little bit, but people notice eventually when you're not doing that and they stop doing it around you. Hmm. And I, I, for some of these people, I've never said a word. And, and yet, We'll be sitting in meetings, and they'll they'll you know drop an f bomb or something, and then they'll go, "Oh, I'm sorry, Keith. I you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I I wasn't thinking or or whatever." But I've never said boo. Do you schedule meetings in your office for absolution? Yeah, with yeah, I, I, I give <laughs> blessings out. Yeah, um, no, no, and so my point here is, you know, it was interesting. Several years ago, I think it was in this book 
by this guy, Blue Like Jazz. He had a whole chapter on some cussing pastor. And um, this whole, I've seen this sort of emerging, this whole sort of let's just make it okay for Christians to cuss kind of mm-hmm. thing yeah. that's going on in the culture, and in, in, in particularly among even certain kinds of evangelicals right now. And I'm, I find that both disappointing but also uh, morbidly interesting because um, uh, I think that um, it's directly in the teeth of Paul's thing about don't treat these things lightly, mm-hmm. these subjects that t- people are speaking of when they tend to, you know, if you drop an F-bomb, mm-hmm. you know, you're... Yeah. you're um, I think it's another example of this Christian... Um, elevation of authenticity to uh, the level of virtue yeah. rather than holiness. Um, and so for, for a lot of young Christian college students, you know, they, they believe if they smoke, drink, and cuss and love Jesus, then they're more authentic. And I think it's kind of, I think it's this graduation of what we saw back in the 80s and 90s with Christian music. Yeah. It's sort of perme- permeating the rest of life. It was the thought, the thinking was if we make music that's similar or just like the music of the world, then we'll have the impact that similarity can have. But I think that what God calls Christians to is distinction. Hmm. Um, And distinction needs to be allowed to have its own impact. To your point, Dad, about the impact you have in your office environment is that of distinction, not similarity. And someone could come in as a Christian and cuss and say all the same words and be like, see, guys, I'm just like you, with Jesus too, right? But then on the other side of that, someone's going to be going, well, you're just like them. What's the point of the Jesus too? Hmm. Right. You know, and so distinction matters. If you're distinct, then you have a a, a different kind of impact. Um, So (laughs) I was at the gas station one time. And uh, this guy is walking toward me. I knew he was going to hit me up for some money. And he comes up. He says, man, can you spare a few bucks? And, I mean, he's, I had the blankety-blank this and blankety-blank that happened to me and blankety-blank. I mean, he's just cussing up a storm, right? And so I'm trying to think how much can I help this guy with. And uh, so I'm I'm about to pull out a few bucks. And he goes, man, what you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. He goes, ooh, I just cursed in front of a preacher man. <laughs> and walked off. <laughs> it's just... Just, just this awareness that <laughs> you shouldn't be talking like that. Yeah. He just instantly knew, yeah. like, why am I saying this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> I had a friend that was um, yeah. <clears throat> that was uh, on a jury in a trial, and it was a prostitution trial. And um, the lady that was the lady that was on trial, um, who it was openly admitting that she was a prostitute that the. the the incidents that she was being um, prosecuted for was uh, supposedly something that happened on a Sunday afternoon, and she said, "Oh no, I th- that would never happen. I I don't do prostitution on Sundays. I go to church on Sundays." Yeah. And uh, and then my friend was a Christian, right? And she was like, "What? You know, uh, that's a really sort of." <laughs> interesting approach to your faith don't you know i can it's okay to do prostitution just don't don't do it on sundays in, in the dictionary next to compartmentalization <laughs> yeah you've got <laughs> right this court case so i was interested in what kyle was saying a while ago about taking on a you know doing something physically distinctive when you're when you're praying i i flew to las vegas a couple of weeks ago 
un, unwillingly, but I did. Um, that's the armpit of America. Um, anyway, um, so I was in the airport. I was in I was Love Field down here, and I was waiting on my flight early, really early that morning. And this uh, Muslim guy came walking down the concourse, hmm. and um, he moved over to the side of the concourse. I mean, I mean, I don't know if you remember how Love Field is, but there's these wide walkways, mm-hmm. you know, um, just you know, kind of glossy, polished floors. And he, people were going back and forth up and down the the concourse to their gates. He moved over to the side, and he had a backpack, and he pulled a prayer rug out of his backpack, and he rolled it out on the floor facing uh, east, and he knelt down on his prayer rug and face to the ground and spent his time in prayer. Now, I'm not a fan of Islam at all, and uh, and I'm really not a f- fan of dedicated Muslims getting on the airplane with me uh, <laughs> if, if they've got some kind of agenda like that. But uh, having said that, I really respected the guy's, I mean, sort of out there devotion to, I mean, it's a legalistic, mm-hmm. you know, obligation that he had, but he, he, he had no compunction about carrying out his his ob, his perceived obligation there right in the teeth of, of all the traffic and all the people who weren't doing that mm-hmm. um you know you kind of it's uh that sort of counterculturalism not that we're called to kneel on prayer rugs and pray as christians but i think there's going to be other manifestations of countercultural visible countercultural things about us if we're treating things as sacred that God treats as sacred. Yeah. Yeah. And first and foremost, his name. So I asked the question, how, what can we be doing in church context to promote um, reverence for God's name and, and reverence in general and this this idea of living counterculturally, I think, um, obviously is the goal and the out the outgrowth of a, a life that really does consider God and the things of God to be sacred. I think my answer to what the church can be doing, I see, is tucked into this verse. It's tucked inside the verse in Exodus 20. Um, The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The Lord is a judge, and I don't believe that we as Christians, especially evangelical Christians in the 21st century, are as inclined to think of the Lord as judge um, as maybe we should be. And so I'm going to say that one answer to the question, what can we be doing to cultivate a culture of reverence toward God, is, you know, because we're Protestant evangelicals, the preaching of God's Word is holds primacy in our weekly gatherings. We're going to preach God's Word. You know, we might not take communion, and so shame on us for that, but we're going to preach God's Word, and so good on us, Right. So I'm going to say it goes back to the preaching of God's Word. Mm. When when God's Word says that God is high above us and a judge to be feared, we as preachers should not make him near to us and someone who pats us mm. on the back. Mm. And when God's Word says that he is near to us and someone who pats us on the back, preach that too. But let God's Word determine how we talk about God from the pulpit. And so, so I think I think for preachers to spend a little bit more time in the 21st century recovering the language of God as eternal, sovereign, transcendent judge would would do us all 
a world of good when it comes to li- being willing to live counterculturally, mm-hmm. um, being willing to walk with reverence before the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So this Sunday, as we wrap up our Return of the King series, I will go there. Mm. Um, you know, because Jesus says in the Revelation passage that we'll start out in that um, He's coming to give to everyone according to what they've done, and so the believer might be sitting in the pew Sunday thinking, "Well, that's for not that's for lost people," but not really. We're gonna the the believer will also stand before Christ, and there will be a judging that takes place, and there are things that are going to be burned up and things that are salvageable. But uh, you know, I think sometimes we tend to in our relaxed thinking, like, "Yeah, but even if that happens, not that big a deal. At least I'm in, right?" Well, I. I th- the scripture wouldn't emphasize it so much if it wasn't a big deal. And mm-hmm. so I think for all, for the for the unbeliever, they need to pay attention to what Jesus is going to say in this whole idea of judging for sure. And the believer, you need to sit up and listen to what, what the Lord has to say to us. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we'll capture that or, you know, recapture that um, need yeah. to yeah. to not be lax in your approach to your relationship with the Lord. and. Yeah. Hopefully, it's going to cause all of us to examine ourselves. Right. You know. Yeah. So. I think one of the ways our culture has left a door open for us to express God's greatness and and reverence for Him. One of the last maybe reverence languages our culture has left us is the language of beauty. You know, when you when you look at movies and things that the culture sort of says, "Oh, that's important." It's be- the way we express that is like, oh, well, it was really beautiful. You know, the cinematography or the music, you know, you go to a concert hall still and there's this uh, atmosphere of reverence because what we're about to experience is a very beautiful thing. I think one of the ways that churches can continue to display God's greatness and our reverence for him is being intentional about making our encounters with God, whether that's in our prayers, whether that's in our music, whether that's in our spaces, make encounters with God beautiful. You know, I think it's one of the reasons the cathedral is so uh, enticing and, and lifts God so high is because it's a space that's so beautiful. It, it takes us outside ourselves, to use some of Keith's language he's talked about before. It makes us realize there's something greater here than me, and I am here to behold it. And I think that can be helpful. Do you think we've not tried to do that with our maroon chairs and carpet in the sanctuary? (laughs) Listen, I I remember the aquamarine chairs, and so the maroon chairs I take is quite a blessing. It's a a spiritual upgrade. Well, but even even the fact that we've got um, stained glass windows in our space, we have a vaulted ceiling in our space. I mean, for if you want to go pound for pound in terms of our church's structure, we've got a massive ceiling in that space that's designed for us to hear reverberated back to us in some ways the praises of God. And so as much as, you know— I think it was also designed to crumble on us um, (laughs) whenever it rained outside. So we got to deal with that. But (laughs) Circumstances being what they are. (laughs) So um, I— I um, you guys remember the movie The Planet of the Apes, and there's this classic scene at the end where <clears throat> Charlton Heston, the original, Heston, not the remake. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. Charlton Heston is riding on the beach, and he comes to the realization. All this time, he's thought he was on some far planet, but he he's riding down the beach on a horse, and he comes across the Statue of Liberty crashed down and sort of leaning over, and all of a sudden he realizes that. On his trip throughout outer space, he just made it a loop, and, and all this time he'd been on Earth, 
many years after he had originally left and he didn't know it. And so the, the indicator of that was the Statue of Liberty laying there on the, on the sand. Um, years ago I was in Brussels and cathedrals in Europe are a little bit that way, I think mm-hmm. now, because you see these memories of what it effect Christian, Christian, Christian influence was in the culture because you see these standing cathedrals all over Europe and it's a memory really. And as much as anything of what was, Hmm. um, maybe not entirely lost, but not the same. Anyway, I was in the, what was the largest cathedral in the low countries in Brussels and they had a painting in there on display. Uh, I think it was a Rubens painting called descent from the cross. It's this massive, uh, panel of uh, a painting of Jesus being taken down from the cross. Um, and it, it, the color is really interesting because he's painted Jesus' body as a, you can, I mean, he looks dead. Just the coloring of his body is not mm. the same as all the other people in the painting, and he's central in that picture. And in the cathedral, there they had a roped-off area, and they had set up some little folding chairs in front of that painting. And... Um, and there were school kids, school groups kind of moving through the cathedral. I mean, it was a, like a field trip destination for schools. But when I was there that day, I was I was looking at that painting, and I noticed there was a there was a middle aged woman sitting in one of the chairs. It was a roped off area in these chairs that were right in front of the painting, so you could sit in these chairs and just look at the painting. So they anticipated people would come and sit and ponder right? This picture. And no one was doing that. The kids were kind of being on their field trip and being kind of loud and doing what kids do on field trips. But this middle-aged woman was sitting in the chairs and she sat there all by herself in these rows of chairs contemplating the painting. And after a while, she began to weep. And so I'm spending my time watching the woman instead of watching the painting, you know, because I found her, 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 her behavior interesting because here was a woman. I mean, I can't know what was going through her mind, but it was the painting in the context that elicited the weeping. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not, don't hear me to be saying that. I think, um, embracing the sacred means we're going to wander around in tears all the time. That's not it at all. But I think we're going to take serious things seriously. And that's going to characterize our lives. And I think at some level, that's what this is saying. God's name is a serious thing. Take it seriously. Treat it seriously. I I don't even think it's saying don't use it. I think it's saying use it seriously uh, with a serious, with a level of commitment and devotion that it requires. So... This has been another Faith and Culture Conversation, a ministry of Lake Ridge Bible Church. You can join the conversation by emailing us at faithandculture at lakeridge.org. Special thanks to Jeremy Wilkerson for producing. Mm-hmm.